is farmland. Coming up. Sean Finan, the CEO of the Irish Bioenergy Association and the current Vice President of CEJA, the European Young Farmers Organisation, is here to talk about kickstarting Ireland's biomass and biogas sectors. And as the prospects of a no-deal Brexit intensify, the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, will outline how the political chaos in Westminster is affecting Ireland's agri-food trade. Plus, as 2018 draws to a close, the Minister will also look back on some of the most challenging issues that have affected farmers over the last 12 months. But first, with just a handful of anaerobic digesters operational on Irish farms, why is Ireland so far behind its Northern European counterparts on biogas? Brefney O'Brien has this analysis. A study conducted in 2017 by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, or SEAI, revealed that renewable gas from animal manure, grass and food waste could provide as much as 28% of the overall gas needs of Ireland by the year 2050. The use of renewable gas could also cut carbon emissions in Ireland by 2 million tonnes annually. This is the energy consumption equivalent of 360,000 households. Renewable gas could also lead to the creation of 3,000 permanent jobs in the industry. The CEO of SEAI, Jim Gannon, has outlined that renewable gas has an important role to play in Ireland's energy future, as the country aims to reduce its carbon emissions by 80% by 2050. However, Ireland has a long way to go and other EU countries are significantly ahead of Ireland on biogas production figures. Currently, there are only 12 AD plants in Ireland as compared to 9,000 AD plants in Germany. In 2015, 7.8% of Germany's power generation and 11.7% of heat consumption were covered by bioenergy. A report issued by the European Biogas Association said the further development of the biomethane industry together with the low carbon transport sector depends heavily on public policies and true commitment at the national and European levels. The report added Europe's transport and greenhouse gas emission targets can only be achieved if the right measures are implemented in the coming years. Currently, only three member states, Germany, the UK and Italy, are responsible for more than 77% of the EU's biogas production. The EU report also outlined there has been no recognition of the additional carbon benefits of biogas and biomethane by the authorities in Ireland, particularly with regard to the agriculture sector, which is responsible for around 33% of Ireland's emissions. The report added that the full potential of biogas is not being fully recognised in the Republic of Ireland. Representatives of the bioenergy sector and farm organisations are calling for the potential of biogas to be championed by the government at policy level. This is because it would not only mitigate carbon emissions from the agricultural sector, but also could potentially offer significant economic returns inside the farm gate. We're joined now by Sean Finan, the CEO of the Irish Bioenergy Association. Sean, thanks very much for coming in to us. Thanks very much, Claire, for having me. Um, Sean, first, you're newly appointed as CEO of the Bioenergy Association. Can you just outline 
what the association does and what your role is as the CEO. Uh, the Irish Bioenergy Association, or Arabia for short, um, is the representative body for the bioenergy sector here on the island of Ireland, both north and south. Um, the bioenergy sector and our, our membership is, is made up of representatives from the biomass sector, the biogas sector, the uh, biofuels industry, but also um, the energy crop sector. So we would represent uh, members across all the different segments within the bioenergy space. Um, our organization is a membership organization. Um, it is managed by a management executive committee, uh, and we have a number of uh, working groups and working within that, within the organization. Um, we obviously, a lot of our work is around lobbying, policy development, but also membership development and stakeholder engagement and the promotion of the bioenergy sector here on the island of Ireland. Um, and we, that is done through active involvement with our membership, but also through lobbying uh, the various government departments and state agencies uh, for the development of the bioenergy sector within the country. My role as CEO is to uh, run the organisation, work with the staff and the membership to further develop the sector here, uh, similar to what I would have done in my voluntary role as uh, National President of Macron Firma uh, when I held that role. Um, and uh, we're also involved in a, at a European level in the European uh, Biogas Association and also in Bioenergy Europe um, and we think that involvement is very important in the context of uh, Ireland and the importance of developing the bioenergy sector in this country uh, that we can learn and understand uh, how bioenergy has been developed across Europe but also uh, take that learning to develop the sector here. Sean, there is a massive drive on at the moment and a lot of discussion on climate and on uh, reducing our carbon footprint here in Ireland and particularly on the renewable energy side. Can you tell us the latest on the support scheme for renewable heat? There was meant to be an, an announcement made on that before the end of the year. Of course, this is for, uh, the, non, for the non-domestic sector, um, for moving away from, from fossil fuels for our, our heat and to, to help bring down our emissions. Yes, indeed. The uh, support scheme for renewable heat is a scheme which uh, Erby has lobbied for for uh, a long, long time now. Um, and we were hoping or we are hoping that it will be launched by the, before Christmas. Um, obviously, our timelines are getting tight now in terms of that happening. Um, but it is a very, very important scheme for the particularly for the, the biomass sector uh, and uh, the bio, biomass heating systems in, in the initial phase. Obviously, phase one is opened, which is for heat pumps. Um, uh, phase two, as we would call it, or the second round would be regard biomass uh, systems. And then we would hope there would be a follow-on phase uh, regarding AD and, and, and gas. Uh, so what the scheme will do is in, incentivize the installation of biomass heating systems and that the government would um, give an operational tariff back uh, to, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to farmers or to organizations that install biomass systems and that that then um, would help uh, to uh, reduce the amount of fossil fuels which cu currently might be used, uh, encourage the use of renewable biomass sources um, and also move towards uh, achieving and helping to achieve our renewable heat targets uh, which are set for 2020 and indeed 2030 moving forward. Yeah, there seems to be a big push at the moment on the biomass side. Is that both willow, miscanthus, different types of, um, of wood chip? 
Well, um, a lot of our wood chip would come from forestry, from the from 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 our forestry resource which we have here in the country. Uh, a number of years ago, we saw a, a growth and development in terms of the energy crop sector. Um, in recent years, uh, a lot of that energy crop has been turned back into conventional grassland um, because of the economics uh, associated with it um, and its location, maybe in in terms of its its uh, source and where it can be used. Um, so it is a sector. The energy crop sector is a sector which needs to be developed um, and contribute towards achieving our targets from a, a renewable energy point of view. But the vast majority of our biomass would come from forestry, forestry thinnings, wood, uh, which would be grown here in the country um, but, and also in some cases imported. There, as I said, there has been quite a push at the moment, uh, not only on the biomass side, but I suppose also when you look at solar and, and wind and the potential there. But what about the potential of biogas? Is that getting, is that being overlooked, do you think, by government at the moment? Um, you're right to say that there has been a focus on other renewables um, and uh, biogas is one which definitely has been put down the the, the list of importance uh, from a policy perspective. Uh, it's our job as an association to work and lobby to try and bring uh, biogas up on onto the agenda um, we will work to do that and continue to do that um, but uh, we have seen that biogas in other member member states um, has been around for many years the technology has been proven in other European countries um, and really it's a case of uh, needing now support from government in order for an AD and biogas sector to be developed here in this country. Um, so you're correct in saying that it is probably down the, the rankings uh, compared to other renewable energy sources, but it's our job to make sure that it gets up to the top and that we see the rollout of a, a, a very important AD industry over the next number of years here in the country. How do you see a biogas sector working in Ireland and where do you see the potential exactly? Uh, I think there is huge potential um, for bioenergy in general, but particularly for biogas, because uh, we have an abundance of feedstock available in the country. Uh, we have we are a grass growing country um, we have uh, a, a, a very focused uh, food producing industry with our ag industry. Um, and obviously we have lots of animals, uh, cattle, sheep, uh, pigs, all the different sectors producing slurries um, that all uh, as well as grass and indeed um, other sources can be used uh, to produce biogas in a biogas uh, facility where enzymes and bugs would work with the, on, the, on the feedstock and produce the gas and also produce uh, a, a digestate which would be uh, available to farmers uh, to spread back on their land. Um, so I see the potential um, at a number of levels. Uh, firstly, at a small scale level on farm where there is an energy demand on the farm, it might be, be small scale production. But um, the potential and the potential in terms of meeting our targets would be with large scale uh, biodigesters situated across the country um, maybe a number in each county um, whereby farmers would provide the feedstocks um, associated with feeding the anaerobic digestion plants and that that feedstock would predominantly be either grass or slurry um, or other uh, bioenergy sources. At the moment uh, Gas Networks Ireland um, are are in the in the midst of their graze project where they're launching yes. down in uh, Mitchellstown and they're going to have an injector facility down there for uh, anaerobic digester to, to feed into the to into the national grid and mm. uh, to produce the natural gas um, do you see potential in like obviously that's a very strong dairy 
part of the country. Yeah. Do you see potential for uh, biogas, say in kind of the Midland areas or in other areas where it's more um, on the more of a beef farming or smaller scale farms? Um, well, we welcome the Gas Networks Ireland announcement a number of um, a couple of weeks ago, um, and we think that's a very positive development in the whole space. Um, I think the potential for biogas is countrywide. Um, and um, in the more intensively farmed areas, you will have more competition for feedstocks um, like the, the silage um, and grass. Um, whereas, as you say, in more in less intensively farmed areas, more extensively farmed areas, um, there is huge scope um, for uh, as a source of feedstock. And that, as you say, would be up in the Midlands and the west of the country uh, and the northern end of the country um, where the farming systems mightn't be as intensive um, indeed, there are some intensive farmers within those areas, but it might it mightn't be overall as intensive as other parts of the country. Um, so I think our our industry to grow and develop um, needs to be a, co- a countrywide industry, um, and obviously uh, the closeness to the gas grid will be a very important consideration. Um, but also um, we need to be very conscious of the availability of feedstock um, and. Um, and in, in, in the rollout and deployment of, of facilities. And what about generating a competitive return on that AD feedstock back to the farmer? Yes, obviously, um, in order for an AD industry to grow and develop in the country, um, everyone along the supply chain needs to make a return. Um, as a farmer, part-time farmer myself, I understand that the farmer needs to make a return in terms of that feedstock. Um, and I think really that's where support from government is very important because um, and any support that the government would put in place um, in the form of a, a tariff um, would result in a lot of the money that the government would invest going back out to farmers, um, initially to the, the biogas producer, but then they would be returning that to the farmer um, in, in, and developing an economy and, and economic growth and economic development at a rural level. So um, it, I think we have to look at the multifactorial benefits of AD um, and that's what we need to make that case to government um, that where they don't just look at it from the point of view of investing a, a significant amount of money in terms of a refit, but that that money will actually, our tariff, and that money will actually go back um, to rural Ireland. Um, we reckon up to maybe 75, 70, 75% of that money um, that the government would invest would ultimately go back to farmers who would provide the addition, the feedstocks that's required. There's also a lot of, um, and farmers are wary from the point of view of maybe um, the availability of feedstock um, for fodder purposes, but also the availability of feedstock for um, for AD. I think it's very important to point out that the we see the potential in the Bioenergy um, Association. We see the potential around um, additional production of grass at a farm level. Currently, Chagas figures show that between seven and eight tons of grass produced per hectare is the average in the country. But we we do see that the top farmers are producing anything from 12 to 16 ton per hectare. So there is huge potential to increase the amount of grass that's produced here through uh, adequate soil fertility. um, And that then can, that additional production of grass could be used from an AD point of view, um, not to maybe displace some of the existing fodder which would be used for livestock production. And obviously then the knock-on implications of that is the decarbonisation of the economy. Yes, ultimately, uh, I spoke about the multi 
factorial benefits. One would be decarbonisation and the reduction of our emissions um, by increasing uh, the, the amount of grass we produce. Uh, we're not advocating for a reduction in the national herd. Um, we believe that the feedstock can be reduced from, the, from, from increased efficiencies. Um, and that's very, very important to point out. Um, but obviously farmers have a choice. Um, a, a choice whether they would produce feedstock for an AD industry or they would continue with their livestock production or a combination of both on their farms. Um, so that's the, that's the benefit from, a, from, a, from, an, from an economic and environmental point of view. And also the benefits would be increased biodiversity. Um, also, um, the digestate is, is a more, or my understanding is that it's a more stable product compared to, to raw slurry, um, that the nutrients are very accessible to the plant from when the digestate is, is spread back onto land. Um, and that would help as well in terms of maybe the water quality uh, and improving water quality within the country, uh, which, which a lot of the time farmers are blamed for, um, for, for that issue which, which exists in certain parts of the country. And Sean, the Irish Bioenergy Association also recently made a submission to the National Energy and Climate Policy Plan, which is about getting yes. us back on track for our 2030 decarbonisation targets. What did you say in the submission? Yeah, well, we, we have made a number of points in, our, in, in that submission. Um, the firstly, we believe that energy needs to pr be prioritised and um, that currently it's within the uh, Department of Communications, um, communications, climate action and environment. So it needs to be prioritised within government. Um, we, we do want to see the rollout of a, of a, of a, of a, main, a mainstream uh, AD industry within the country. Um, we want to see energy crops uh, being supported, similar to the way the forestry scheme will currently roll out, where farmers are, uh, are provided with a, a grant uh, for planting of, of, of forestry. Uh, we will have to see more forestry in the country. Um, we believe that a, an adequate land use policy should be developed. Uh, that land use policy should um, look at the, all the, the land within the country, and it should also um, set out um, indeed where um, is where forestry can be developed um, and where it can be developed country-wide rather than focusing on specific areas of the country because we need a with a biomass industry uh, there will be a need for forestry right across the country um, in all counties not alone focusing on certain parts of the country um, which is is an important consideration so there would be some of the elements within our, our proposal uh, on the biofuels we would be also promoting e10 and the um, the improve, improved uh, sub increased subsidization of biofuels within our, 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 our fuels um, and that ultimately will also have a knock-on effect for farmers in the growing of energy crops uh, to maybe feed a, an industry around that. Um, so our, our, our ambitions are, are, are all available um, on the consultation for anyone to look at um, and uh, it, we, we do see huge potential for bioenergy as being our European Europe's largest renewable energy source and the effective rollout of a bioenergy sector and uh, an industry here will mean that Ireland will help uh, it will help Ireland to address its targets um, as we move towards 2030. Sean, I'm afraid we'll have to leave it there. There's lots more I'd like to ask you, especially with the reform of the Common Agricultural Policy and how it's affecting young farmers, but also just to uh, congratulate you on the 60th anniversary of CJ. I know that was celebrated there last week. Yes, indeed. Thanks very much, Claire. So we'll have you back in again, Sean. Thank, Thank you, you very much for joining us. Thank you. Now, concerns over the sustainability of the beef sector have been splashed across countless headlines this year. But will the incoming Beef Environmental Efficiency Pilot Scheme 
help secure its future. Siobhan Walsh has this report. Heinz Zagart is the farm manager at Shetland's farm in County Gildare. He is formerly a dairy farmer. Heinz was weighing heifers for the factory with Chris Cantlan when we visited. He has been weighing his beef animals for the past 10 years and sees many advantages to the system. I used to be in dairy farming and when you stand in the parlour you can see the performance of cows every day and see how much milk they're given for the food you put into them. So when I started in the beef farming it was different. You kind of uh, were guessing what the, what the rates, uh, cattle rates are. So I found that the only way to measure performance, to manage performance, to measure it. So 10 years ago or 12 years ago we purchased our first weighing scales and we do constant weighing of our animals to make sure their performance is up to the expected weight gains that we're hoping for. Heinz has seen animal performance and efficiency improve on the farm since he started weighing his animals. After weighing I would go through the weight chart and I, 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 I look to the top of the list and I see the uh, animals are performing really well but I more concentrate on the bottom end and see why maybe the last cattle not performing the same than the others. Is there a health problem, is there a nutritional problem and so on, so I can act on it yeah. to improve the performance of those animals as well. Or maybe it's, it's a genetic issue and the cows will have to, have to be sold. Using electronic tags has speeded up the process. All data is sent to his smartphone and is easily accessible. It didn't happen overnight. We started with uh, setting up the crush was here. We got the weighing scale put into the crush first. Our first weighing scale was just a platform inside the crush. There was issue with trying to steady the animal on the crush, on the, on the, on the, on the um, platform to weigh it properly. So then 10 years ago, we, or eight years ago, we invested in the proper stand with the weigh cell and underneath and every animal in the individually can put in here and weigh it properly. So they gave it proper weight because there's nothing worse than not weighing is to get the wrong weight. So you really have to make sure you get the right weight. Two years ago then we started uh, EI, uh, electronically tagging our calves. It's only next to Europe per animal. And we purchased a reader so to make the weighing quicker and also more secure. I don't have to try now to, from animals that are a bit nervous in the crush, try to clean their air tags to read them. Uh, this reader will identify every animal just by a press of a button and the data is kept in the reader and in the evening time I link it up to the computer and download it into the computer program. I, I do use a software program for the whole farm. There's a herd management, a field management and a, a, a accounts program all in the one package and it gives me then proper readings of how the cattle have performed, how long on their farm, how, what is their weight gain, are they up to targets. We, we set in the program we set uh, weight targets and then uh, we can see what animals are performing well and the animals are maybe performing below target on why that is. And uh, it, it's, it's a very quick and secure way of weighing without too much hassle. He recently purchased a new weighing scales and has very efficient handling facilities. He weighed 19 heifers in just 20 minutes while Agriland visited. I think the ICBF actually provides weighing service for the smaller farmers that may not be able in the position to purchase the scales. In our, the size of this farm, it's feasible to purchase your own, own equipment. So I don't have to wait for people. I can weigh any day. I can go out here and weigh them. And yeah, absolutely. I, I, I find through, through the weighing and through knowing what's going on with the animals that really our efficiency has improved greatly. We have more efficient animals. We have also weighed for all our cows. Uh, 
So what our aim is at weaning that the calf is half the life within the cow, it has to achieve the target to stay efficient. If it not, again, we have to look why and, and act accordingly. We're joined now by Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed. Minister, thank you very much for joining us. There's lots of issues we want to touch on this evening, but obviously Brexit is the first issue. UK Prime Minister Theresa May has decided to delay the vote on the withdrawal agreement. There is some speculation now about a united Ireland. Um, are we looking at a no deal scenario and a crash out on March 29th? Well, I don't believe there's a majority in the House of Commons for a no deal. Uh, but it is in many ways the default position because they have to take steps to avoid a crash out. Uh, so um, obviously we have the council later this week, we will have the heads of state meeting there, whereas we are anxious to facilitate uh, the passage of the withdrawal treaty in the House of Commons. We cannot do so in any way that dilutes the provisions of the withdrawal agreement or in particular the issues around the no hard border. That's an imperative and I think it's interesting to note Theresa May's own comments in that regard, you know, where she recognised the fact that for many good reasons, not least the peace process, uh, the border communities, etc., that you know, the provision of a, a text around no hard border is something that she supports. So, um, you know, the, the, the rest of the treaty is constructed around the fact that the UK is leaving, it's untangling a web of 45 years in the making, their own red lines in the sense of leaving the European Union, leaving the single market, leaving the customs union, leaving the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. You cannot have it any other way, um, you know, except what's in the text of the withdrawal treaty. If we can provide some reassurances around the durability of the uh, withdrawal treaty uh, around the customs union arrangement and the no hard border. We want all of that dealt with in the context of the future trading relationship and we want that to be as close as possible. But to get to a stage where we're talking about that, we have to first of all clear the hurdle sequentially of approving the withdrawal treaty. And that's where we're at. To be honest with you, I think talk about from certain quarters about a border pole and a united Ireland is unhelpful to say the least at this stage. What we are trying to do is to reach out, create an understanding with all parties in Northern Ireland, bearing in mind that the DUP does not speak for a majority, but it is you know, obviously a critical part of the mathematics within Westminster. We are you know, anxious to provide as far as possible reassurances um, and talking of border poles is really wide of the mark and entirely unhelpful at this stage. Do you think a no-deal outcome is becoming more likely on the back of all of this? I think it's more likely today than it was yesterday. Um, having said that, I still think it's unlikely, and I still think there is a substantial majority within the House of Commons that does not want a no-deal Brexit. But what they have to realise is, they, the, you know, if they do not act in other ways, in other words, either approve the withdrawal treaty, extend the Article 50 process, or withdraw the Article 50 process, which we now have legal clarity on that they can do that unilaterally. If they do not act, the default position is then a, a hard Brexit. The leaders in the EU and leaders within our own government 
are talking about intensifying preparedness now for an ODL scenario. What is the Department of Agriculture doing and where are you intensifying preparedness? Well, I mean, we have been, uh, and even at, at a government uh, decision today, we have taken you know, steps to intensify that preparation uh, for a no-deal Brexit. I mean, our preparations around preparing for a no-deal Brexit are to do with uh, you know, the built infrastructure that's required in our ports and our airports, the staffing requirements that are there. Um, they're all now going to be accelerated to take account of the UK being a third country, leaving without any agreement about what the future trading relationship is, becoming then de facto a third country, and all the requirements that go with it in terms of treating them as we do every other third country. So that requires all of the checks and balances. And that's, that's a scenario that we want to avoid. We want the withdrawal agreement. We want then the negotiations, or we want the transition period within which we negotiate the future trading relationship. But if the UK crashes out, we have to be ready for that as well. And I think the, this will not be seamless. There is no country in the European Union that will be ready to hit the ground running with a fully constructed uh, infrastructure around a no-deal Brexit. And there will be a, a, you know, an element of uh, crisis management in that context. But we will be accelerating our preparedness for that scenario now. And when you say accelerating, Minister, do you mean that staff will be filled into staff, those positions sooner than, yes. sooner than had been scheduled? Anticipated. I mean, we have provision in our budget for 2019 um, of $7 million to deal with some of the uh, infrastructure requirements around ports, airports, uh, border post stations, etc. in the context of imported uh, goods coming in from the UK. Obviously, uh, in a no-case, in a no-deal scenario, that will obviously have to be enhanced uh, the level of checks will have to be enhanced and that will bring additional staffing requirements. Do you know how many or when those positions will be filled? Hundreds and that recruitment process is already on the way. Minister Sterling as well has been very volatile, uh, particularly over the last week. Can you give any reassurances to our agri-food exporters and our traders who are watching this with great concern at the moment? Yeah, look, I mean, that, that's something that we, we are, we're almost tracking on a daily basis here. And, you know, obviously uh, events of recent days and hours, you know, have uh, seen a movement to our disadvantage in terms of the euro relative to, to sterling. And that's something that some of our uh, industries have already been exposed to, particularly if you look at, you know, high volume, low margin products, mushrooms in particular comes to mind. They've already been hit with this. Uh, we have been trying to deal with this already in terms of some of the initiatives we've brought in, in terms of lean manufacturing, in terms of financial assistance, capital grants for the horticulture side, in terms of low interest loans, etc. But look, I, I mean, we have to face the reality that Brexit is not of our making. It's, it's a mess for us that we have to manage as best we can, but we can't avoid all of the consequences of it. Post-Brexit will never be as good as what we have today with the UK as a member of the European Union, as a member of Customs Union, as a member of the single market. And what we are doing is a damage limitation. The damage will be less if we have an agreed future trading relationship. The damage will be significantly greater if we have a crash out Brexit. Minister, the beef sector has really had a very, very difficult year this year. And 
beef and dairy are both obviously very, very exposed and the horticulture set with, with uh, Brexit. But on the beef side, uh, the Chagask uh, re- annual income review last week, you know, had some pretty bleak projections um, results for this year, you know, incomes in the suckler sector dropped 19% uh, for finishers on the beef side, 11%. The EU agricultural outlook projects further price volatility over the next 10 years. Um, what assurances can you give uh, beef farmers out there at the moment who are really struggling to grapple with the future of their own sector? Well, we've been trying to progress a number of initiatives um, over the last two years, for example, in terms of the, the, the farmers that are uh, challenged most by virtue of the, the nature of the holding they farm, we've put in nearly 50 million extra in ANC payments. That brings us back to where we were post or pre-2008 when, when, when uh, the Fianna Fáil government cut the ANC payments. We're back now with 50 million extra gone into ANC payments and in fact skewed that to farmers who are uh, you know farming the most disadvantaged and marginalised land, particularly hill and that covers some of the suckler sector. We've also this year put an additional uh, funding of 20 million into a beef environmental efficiency program, and that'll be paid in 2019. I accept it's a really difficult uh, sector at the moment, and it's compounded by the continued growth in the in 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 uh, the national herd, and in particular the beef progeny coming from the dairy herd. We've been doing a lot in terms of calf exports. We put out 150,000 uh, calf exports last year, 212,000 exports altogether of live cattle. That's you know up 30% on the previous year, which was up 30% on 2016. So a real active commitment to live exports as well. One of the things which I would like to see progressed and which I have raised as an issue with uh, farm organisations, uh, and certainly in here there's a willingness, we've approved some people to get involved in organizing farmers as producer groups so that they can negotiate better from a, a, a point of greater strength than they do as individual farmers when negotiating with the factories uh, on issues around specification and price etc also organizing them to deal with kind of group purchasing of inputs etc and i would like to see that really accelerated in 2019 we have provided that funding not in 2018 in fact as far, to the best of my knowledge it goes back to 2017 but we haven't seen a drawdown drawdown of those funds yet and uh, as you mentioned, the Beef Environmental Efficiency Pilot Programme as well, that's going to be rolled out in 2019. And we saw in the VT that a farmer is actually um, really seeing the advantages and the benefits of that on his farm. Um, can you give us any more detail in terms of when and how that would be rolled out? There was a tendering process um, for the weighing skills, or there is soon to be a tendering process for yeah. the weighing skills. Well, what, what we want to capture is the maximum possible number. So it's not, it's not confined just to the BDGP uh, participants. It's open to every suckler farmer. We expect that there will be a majority coming from those already participating in BDGP. The data is really important to us because it allows us to continue and accelerate the journey of improving the herd, the merit of the herd, lowering the carbon footprint. It's compatible with, with all those objectives. So I would like we want to get applications done as quickly as possible with a view to getting the payment out and to making sure that there is the minimum amount of leakage. Uh, f- from the payment to the administrative side. So hopefully that most farmers would be getting the full 40 euros into their pockets. And Minister, you mentioned the live exports there and the importance of that to the sector over 2019. Um, can you give me some detail on any markets where you see any maybe contracts that you're negotiating at the moment uh, where you see further potential in 2019 for our live exports and also just the importance of welfare when it comes to our live exports? 
revised veterinary certificates recently, facilitating far greater uh, type of cattle going to Libya. You know, a win, uh, a boat will sail shortly in terms of, of that market. Uh, in Egypt, uh, we've just recently signed a new veterinary certificate as well, which does the same thing. Um, having the veterinary certificate, you know, however, doesn't automatically mean that cattle will flow. What we are at is trying to improve the number and increase the number of markets and make the markets as accessible as possible. It has to be remembered that in that context, we are a taker of the terms and conditions that these markets insist upon. The, the pressing part of 2018 in that context was the Turkish market, which, you know, you know, having looked really promising uh, from, from post May 2018, where there was supposed to be a great liberalization of the market. And that was, you know, a genuine commitment by the Turkish authorities. Because of classical geopolitical issues, a, a spat between the Americans and the Turks, you had a collapse of the value of the Turkish currency, and therefore buying cattle from us was no longer feasible. We keep our eye on that market. That's a very significant and lucrative market if it were to become financially viable. We have you know, the criteria we want in respect to veterinary certification there. Across North Africa generally is always fertile territory for us. With the rising price of oil, it gives them greater purchasing power, so we're very clued into those markets as well. Spain is a really important one for us, for weanlings and calves. Uh, live exporters have to be aware of this. They are a critical part of the infrastructure for our livestock industry. They have to operate to the letter of the law. Otherwise, those countries through which we transit will not facilitate the continuation of this. And that's why there has been active engagement by my department with live exporters and will continue to be. We must operate to the letter of the law in this regard. Minister, the reform of the common agricultural policy again is going to be a big issue in 2019. Also, we had you know the massive uh, extreme weather events as well. Um, on the climate change front, there's going to be a, a big intensification on environmental measures um, in the common agricultural policy. And Commissioner Hogan has been very clear about uh, the potential of carbon quotas coming down the road. And he has said that they're not afraid to even consider culls in some member states down the road if uh, regulations are not met on the climate front. Um, have you any concerns about how, uh, about, um, you know, moving forward with dairy expansion here? Um, and what would your advice be to farmers who are, who are I think heading it, that road? I think it's very clear the direction of travel we have to go. If we want to expand, we have to do so in a climate-friendly way. Nothing less will do, and in fact, it's in our own best interest because the market is equally catching up as much as our climate change legally binding and financially punitive targets are. So we have to be best in class uh, to deliver the best return for us in the marketplace. So, you know, we need to read the, the tea leaves on this one. You know, there are so many warnings coming from so many quarters. It's imperative that the industry positions itself to expand in a sustainable way. Minister, finally, I just have to ask you one question. A general election could be on the cards now early next year. Um, would you like to continue as the Minister for Agriculture? Well, look, I, I, I don't know that there will be an election. I, I have really enjoyed this position. Um, I, I'd like to think that I've given it my best shot uh, in, in terms of the time I've had the, the privilege of holding the portfolio. Um, we face into great uncertainty, um, you know, not least around the issues we've discussed, cap, climate, uh, Brexit. And I think in that context, the last thing we need is a general election. But if, if it comes, so be it. I think we, um, as, as a party, have always been understanding of the issues around rural Ireland and inside the farm gate in particular. And I think we have, you know, at a time when we've been through very difficult times economically, 
uh, and as resources have increasingly become more available, we have, I think, been successful in securing our fair share for the agricultural sector. And in that context, I think, you know, the farming community out there are aware of that also. We'll leave it there, Minister. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Claire. And that's it for Farmland this week. Thanks to all our guests and to our sponsors, Homeland. If you want to get in touch with the Farmland or Agriland teams, you can call or email us directly or reach out on our social media channels. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.